This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Flood by Head Swim. But if you're going to sound derivative of that band, at like, least do it well. And there's some moments on here where they actually do it really well. And they sound like the second generation of grunge bands. It, you, there's nothing really there that's new or different. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me... Once again, in the co-pilot seat, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, you're you're not actually flying right now, right? You are on the ground. I'm grounded. Excellent. It's good to know. I don't want you operating any sort of dangerous vehicle while we are. I think uh, air travel is black magic. <laughs> There's no way I could ever be a pilot. I just don't believe the physics. Well, it's... It just doesn't make any sense. It's... Because of angels. Oh, now that makes sense. I'm an American, so that makes sense. (laughs) Uh, Before we alienate our uh, half our audience, let's get into uh, this review, which is a listener suggestion. We got one from Mr. Tim Rogers. I like that name. That's why I picked it. Tim Rogers suggested we check out the band... Head Swim, who I was completely unfamiliar with, and I'm sure you were too, unless you'd like to say otherwise. No. no and idea. their album, Flood. Now, Jay, uh, I usually ask you when we are dealing with a completely unknown band, where do you think they're from? So, where do you think this band is from? Oh. Hmm. Florida? What makes you say that? <laughs> Just out of curiosity, I'm, I, want to, I want your reasoning behind this um, prediction. Weren't there some bands from the mid '90s, uh, like sort of alt rock bands? Wasn't there like sort of a little Florida thing going on for a little while? I like think there Days was. of the New and Creed and those bands all from Florida. I don't. I know, know Creed was, but I don't know where Days of the New were or, from. But. Or my my second guess would be they're from Canada because they have a lot of piano and music. Uh, both of those would be wrong, and I'll Damn tell it. you, and I'll tell you why. As we get into the history of the band. History of the band. So Head Head Swim formed in 1989 in Essex, England. By Daniel Mm. Glendinning. Glendinning. I don't know. Glendinning. I'm going to go with that. On guitar and vocals. His brother Tom Glendinning on drums. Nick Watts on keyboard and vocals, and Matt Pegg on bass. Now, originally they were called Blinder, but they gigged around for a couple years. And in 1992, Matt Pegg, the bassist, was replaced by Clovis Taylor, and they changed the band name from Blinder to Head Swim. They started their own record label called Crush Records and released an EP in 1993 and then followed it up with another EP in 1994 was at that point they signed to Sony subsidiary Epic. I'm guessing this would be Epic UK for an eight album deal. So apparently it wasn't just the United States. They were throwing around the funny money. They were throwing around in the UK too. They released their first album Flood, which we're reviewing in October of 1994 on Epic. This is where the things take a, a kind of a sad turn in the end of 94 the brothers Tom and Dan lost their brother Matt, 
who had created the artwork for the EPs and for the album, uh, to leukemia. He passed away, and the band went on hiatus. They took some time off and then recorded their second album, Despite Yourself, which was released in September of 97 on Epic. Soon afterwards, they were dropped by Epic. They continued on for a couple years, but ended up breaking up in 2001. Uh, Brothers Tom and Dan uh, have played in a couple bands together, one called Black Car and then another one called Tenebrous Liar. The keyboard player, Nick Watts, is the key, is the touring keyboard player for the band Muse. Not Muse, M-U-S-E, but M-E-W-S. Different Muse. Oh. I like that band. <laughs> yes. Good band. And that is the history of Head Swim. That's a pretty short history. Only two albums. A couple hmm. EPs. If you would like to donate to the podcast, you can become a sponsor of the history of the band we'll mention you right here and say thank you for sponsoring this podcast you can do that by sending us some mail uh, some money via paypal or buying a t-shirt although if you buy a t-shirt please let us know your name because we don't know the names of the people who buy t-shirts from us that's just the way it works so we did get a little bit of feedback uh from our facebook post and it was from Mr. This is another Tim. How about this? This is a, a Tim-oriented episode. Tim Rogers suggested it, and Tim James gave us a little feedback. Actually, it's not necessarily feedback. It's just a comment. Uh, I'm sure you will mention how their second album sounds different from this one. And what he's referring to is, if you go to the Wikipedia page for album number two, it says that the band, when they went on uh, hiatus writing songs and it took a much more personal turn on the second record and it drew comparisons and this is mentioned with citations uh to radiohead apparently in uh reviews on all all music and in the independent they mentioned radiohead as being an influence on their 97 album which would make sense i think a lot of bands by 97 were starting to reference the bends mm-hmm. and pablo honey and their songwriting so that's not uncommon. But we're here to talk about Flood. Now, there's a significant piece of information I want to point out about this album. It was produced by Dave, I think it's pronounced Aringa. Uh, Dave has produced albums by the Manic Street Preachers and Idlewild. I think he's produced all the Idlewild albums. Hmm. So he's kind of a, he's a bigger named producer over in the UK. So, Jay, we both mentioned that we had no familiarity with head swim prior to getting the suggestion so yeah since this is a tim oriented episode you get to go first it's true i do (laughs) so i I had a couple of so this album came out in 94 so i had a couple of thoughts i thought it was interesting that this band formed in 89 and were together for a couple years because they sound like and i think this is what you were alluding to in your suggestion about where they were from they sound like the second generation of grunge bands. Mm-hmm. You know, you can hear a little bit of Pearl Jam on one song. You can hear some Alice in Chains. You can hear some Soundgarden. You can even hear some early Tool, I think, on some of the... Uh, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of, like, the Undertow album, specifically, yep. which is a little less prog rock than Enema and the Lateralist album. I think this album starts out really well. I like the first track, Gone to Pot. 
There's some cool guitar effects going on, and the bridge of that song is really cool. It has this like muse, and muse m u s e. Yeah, uh, reminded me it has this like crazy bass line going on uh, that uh, Clovis Taylor's playing, and yep. uh, the second track "Soup" kind of reminded me of uh, like a versus era Pearl Jam song. There's some yep. cool. Uh, they add some nice keyboard stuff from Nick Watts, the organ. I liked Try Disappointed. Again, it has a piano. Um, it has this cool, like, halftime piano bridge, and there's some interesting keyboard, like, digital effects going on in the second half of the song. But I think after the first three songs, it starts to lose some energy, and it really starts to become derivative of all those bands that we mentioned. I think they get it back a little bit on track seven and nine. Uh, yeah. Track seven being Apple of My Eye, which has some nice dynamics in that song. And then mm-hmm. track nine, Stinkhorn, which again has a bit of a Pearl Jammy sound. But the thing that I like about that is they kind of let loose a little bit and they bring in like a horn track, which I like when there's like a kind of when you when you don't do sort of a, a R&B or, you know, soul horn section, but you kind of have like a crazy soloing not really playing with the band, but just kind of going off on one track it kind of sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Otherwise, well, it is, I, it I didn't find it. It is called Stinkhorn. Yeah, it is called Stinkhorn. So you got to have a stinky horn on it. There you go. Good call. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Beyond that, I just found it kind of, I use the word stock a lot. 
Like yeah. I felt like it was kind of this is the stock Pearl Jam riff and this is the stock Alice in Chains riff. And I think the thing that hurts them the most is is the vocals. They just don't have a lot of individual personality. Yeah, he struggles to find his voice. And maybe that's do- something that he addresses on the second record where they talk about maybe he maybe the tragedy that happened with them losing their brother provided him with some emotional depth to his songwriting, but I just kind of feel like a lot of what's on here is not, I, I didn't get caught up in any of the vocals and any of the lyrics. There's the a lyrics song called pretty the, uh, stereotypical for, for nineties. There's a lot of like jaded and stained and hated and you know, down down. And that There's a song stuff. called down. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of found it overall. There were some highlights, but I didn't find it to be as engaging as I was hoping it would be when it started out. So, uh, are you in the same ballpark? Well, it's it's. There's a couple things I think that are worth noting about this record that do make it, I think, a little bit above the normal contrived derivative, you know, in '90s music that you you're referring to. And there are certainly songs and moments on um, many songs where they fall into that, particularly with the lyrics and his vocal style or lack of individual style. But there are a couple things that are different. One is the keyboard is something that, you know, for the most part works really well in this, this album. And it's not something that you typically heard in the mid 90s. And he varies from playing, you know, a Rhodes piano to organ sounds to synth sounds to samples to, you know, he kind of runs the gamut and does a really good job fitting in for the most part um, with a big heavy dark rock sound which Mm -hmm. i think gives them a layer that's just a little bit different and a lot of times in parts of this of songs that if that wasn't there um it would be very pedestrian but because it is there it sort of has this other level to it for me that that actually helps it work so i really appreciated that there's a couple points where it actually gets a little confusing in terms of what they're trying to do um try disappointed Track three for me is is one of those times, particularly in the verse, where that mix of piano and this kind of music almost starts to get like sound like like new jazz or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're you, you start to cringe a little bit. There's moments like that that kind of pop here and there throughout the record um, where you kind of it doesn't work. And that's the trouble with using piano in a, in a band like this is that you got to be really good. You got to know exactly what you're doing because you can very quickly ruin a song <laughs> by playing the wrong piano part on top of it or keyboard part on top of it. Um, the other thing that, that that does work for me is that particularly on tracks 
two and nine, the ones that you've and I agree that sound like sort of middle area era Pearl Jam, they're really, I think, indicative of. I think there is an energy on this, an unbridled sort of like youthful energy. And there's also just sonically between the keyboards and the guitar tones and everything. There's times when they, in the tempos they're playing at, that it just sounds, I don't mean, almost sounds better than some of that Pearl Jam stuff. Like it just, it sounds authentic and just, you know, um, vocal is, is, is really strong. And it's just really loud and just sounds crazy but in a good way like just kind of off the rails and those two songs in particular and a lot of that has to do with his vocal ability which is it's disappointing because there are a couple like times he really reaches and hits notes and, uh, and it sounds really impressive and it really grabs me but mm-hmm. at the same point i'm sitting there thinking wow that was really cool oh, i kind of sounded like chris cornell yeah <laughs> yeah or, oh, that was amazing Oh, it kind of reminded me of Lane Staley, like when he would really hit, you know, a big note, you know. And so even in those moments where I did emotionally sort of get into it, wow, this is like really rocking. This guy's like like really putting in a great performance here vocally. And then, boom, it triggers some reference, some obvious reference. And, and it kind of, you know, tarnishes it a little bit. Um, he gets into some of the like Yarly singing, you know, the raw, raw, raw kind of all all uh you know consonant kind of saying all in the um, cheeks in the cheeks and yeah, in the jaw was, uh, or is it vowels there's a, have you seen ted yet i have not seen ted yet there's a joke in ted where he's doing 90s karaoke and he's just like singing he's he, he's singing i think uh hooting the blowfish and he's he's just saying that um you know every 90s song you can sing if you just sing the the vowels you don't have to sing any of the consonants. <laughs> like all ninety singers, they sound like this. Raw, 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 raw. And he's like singing the song. It's pretty funny. But there's some moments on this where he's, you know, obviously in that uh, mm-hmm. in that company, which is is not great. So, but you know those those two things uh, save a, a couple of the songs for me um, and actually make them pretty um, just from a just from a you know a rock standpoint work fairly well for me um you know i I found myself especially like in the car with this album cranked and sort of not over analyzing it too much i enjoyed it a lot more um when i had headphones on and i was had a pen in my hand and i was really analyzing it um you know there was a lot of red ink (laughs) so so to speak coming out um but when i really just kind of listened to it from the gut and didn't overthink it and just had it blaring as i was driving i found myself you know you know being way more into it that makes sense. I think that's a fair assessment. It's, you know, I I like this album all the way through. I didn't love it, but I liked this album all the way through when I first listened to it and I wasn't listening to it critically, but I was there would dissect each song. It they sort of started to break down. And I'd be like, mm, that's just kind of a Pearl Jam riff." Yeah. And uh I think the thing that you mentioned at the beginning when you were saying they're from Florida because they kind of I think it was cuz they maybe have a little bit of a creed sound in some points i think they're smarter than those bands and i'm thinking of like godsmack and stained those sorts of bands days of the new i think there there's a little bit more musicality going on i think a lot of it's coming from the bass player and the keyboard player they're clearly doing some really interesting things here and there but the i think it's the vocals that really let the band down i think that's the thing that where i was kind of i just wanted to hear the guy 
find his voice yeah and find his and find his what he has to offer and fortunately just doesn't he just doesn't get there i mentioned tool in the in sort of my start because i think uh track 10 they use like an eastern scale which is like the if you want to sound sort of uh mysterious you go for the 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 eastern scale which i think tool has done a lot of um and then they bring in a chorus or an organ into the chorus of that song yeah but uh, again when they when they like let loose on that song they play this riff which sounds like a guitar riff it's like this three chord uh drop d riff in that song it sounds like the same riff i've heard in like a thousand hard rock metal songs yeah and i just kind of was like "Mm, you didn't even really need to have that in there (laughs) no that song is not great and uh it's six and a half minutes long yeah Um, so there's probably two or three songs on here where it's in that that vein there's nothing really there that's new or different um but there are some where there is so there's a weird mix and yeah it's not that you know singing from a vocal standpoint he's um he's definitely got talent but uh i think like we said it it's a matter of finding his own unique voice did you did you catch the uh i think it's track five is it dead Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a really cool bass line in that. It reminded me. I did of write Muse. that down. Yeah, and then it gets ruined because the whole bridge of the song, he freaking raps, or something very close to raps. Or sing, like a sing long speaks. Time. It's very close to a rap. You have to listen. To, I don't know if you didn't notice it the first time. Let's do it again. But I'm like, I'm into the verses, and I don't think there's much of a chorus in the song. But it gets to that part, and I'm like, Yeah, what's going on here? <laughs> I think he's rapping. And it's going on for a long time. like killed the whole song for me you know that was another one of those moments where eh, not super original probably not a great decision no cool baseline yeah th- I, and i had that down cool guitar and bass lines for that song but uh yeah it didn't it didn't really do much for me and another song you know they do try some different things uh track six years on me is is an acoustic song 
It's, it mm-hmm. reminded me of like the Chris Cornell solo album. Yeah. And then on track four, it's a slower song, and it has a it like builds throughout the song, and it gets to a big crescendo, but there's really not a big chorus in the song. So like yeah. I didn't, I was having a hard time sticking with it because like what's where's what am, what am I hooking on to into the song? Not that every song has to have the most catchiest of choruses, but you gotta like some point give me something to to hang my hat on. And there are some I, I kind of like the slower, or more quiet songs. So "Years on Me" and "Beneath the Black Moon," the last track, or that they let the keyboard come forward a little bit and play an interesting role, a little bit more of an interesting role, and stand stand out a little bit more, which I think is um, they're obviously highlighting probably the most talented person in the band or one of the most talented which is not a bad thing and there's even times where like i think i said you know the songs that were derivative of pearl jam i didn't necessarily mind because i thought they did them really well there's there's uh the song down which oh, i hate that title but mm-hmm. and it sounds a lot like allison change especially in the chorus but man they do it well like <laughs> they do this really cool like uh uh, ext- uh like uh they play the chord and it kind of like pull the note down they kind of like uh it's like their own their own you know what i mean they like do these mm-hmm. like long bends. drawn out bends and like yeah stagger the rhythm and stuff that and then he's screaming over top of it and just it's like man if, i guess if you're gonna rip them off at least i don't know if they're ripping them off but if you're gonna sound derivative of that band at like at least do it well and there's some moments on here where <laughs> they actually do it really well and He's not just doing like the the low Alice in Chain singing. He actually can do the high parts too, which is cool. So, you know, even when they're derivative, it's it's still. <laughs> I guess it's it's done well enough to to listen to it and kind of get into it. Certainly you can't be appreciative for originality. You had mentioned that you thought they were possibly from Canada. Is that because Moist used keyboards to a fairly, you know, yeah, um, probably, positive yeah. effect on the first two albums? Yeah, and there's there's a couple songs in here that are more mid tempo, or even the quiet ones I mentioned earlier, where they get into that territory of what Moist would do with, uh, you know, how they prop uh, Rhodes or piano into uh, into rock music. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think they 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 kind of get in that ballpark too. Okay, well, let's get into our uh, rating for this record. Since I went first with the review, I'll just go ahead and say I was at an EP mm-hmm. for this. Tracks one, three, seven, and nine would be on that EP for me. The rest of the stuff, I'm really, it didn't, it didn't really move me. And it was, I, I think if he, it, it's interesting that they worked with Dave Aringa on this because when I think of Idlewild and Manic Street Preachers, I think of what interesting and and creative vocals that those two bands have especially mm-hmm. the early stuff for Idlewild and I'm thinking of like not the first record but like um, uh, a thousand what's the second what's the record a thousand broken windows is that what it's called mm. yeah or the remote part no those mm-hmm. those albums I mean just really great and just interesting vocal parts that kind of work but shouldn't really work same thing with the Manic Street Preachers. So I'm surprised that he let them deliver an album with such a middle of the road vocal for so much of the so much of the record when the music is clearly there. I mean, this band could have been Muse five years before Muse. Yeah, yeah, I kept thinking the same thing too. There were elements of 
that level of musicianship in the band, at least mm-hmm. from the bass player and the keyboard player. And yeah, um, they could have went in that direction. It's funny too the, the the production like it's engineered fine like it sonically it sounds fine but it's not absolutely other than the keyboards it's not really distinctive in any way and the the albums you mentioned the bands you mentioned I think you know from a production standpoint those sound pretty unique particularly that or earlier Idlewild stuff doesn't really sound like anybody um, no and it sounds pretty fresh so yeah I think this is just what the band sounded like and where are you at. I'm at an EP. I, I, it's kind of funny though. I I, uh, I think I like different songs than you did. I like track two, Soup. I like track four, Crawl. I like track six, Years on Me. I like track seven, Apple of My Eye, which I think you said you liked. I like nine, mm-hmm. Stinkhorn, and um, we're halfway there. Yeah. So I mean, I'd say there's five or six good songs on here of of, of the eleven. And then as far as bands that. You know, people might be interested in. I, I mean, obviously, we mentioned Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and they're still band. They're still around. Actually, Alice in Chains is still around too. So, I mean, if you're into any of those bands, you might actually uh, dig this record because it's definitely reminiscent of of those three bands. Um, and then I also mentioned, you know, like some of the other, like the third generation of grunge or second generation with like Godsmack and Creed, Tool, Stain, Days of the New, those bands. And I think if you if you like those first couple Muse albums, like Showbiz and Origin of Symmetry, you might hear some stuff in this that can draw some comparisons. I think Muse has gone completely away from that, <laughs> you know, currently. Have you heard the Olympic song yet? I haven't listened to it. I, I have heard it, and it I, Katie and I were actually driving in the car, and she was like, "This song is ridiculous," and I'm like, "It's it's their version of." We are the champions. We will rock you, essentially. Um, but so it's like this big anthemic song, but it has people with doing like, oh, 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 oh like these like, you oh know, boy. bass vocals and these and this massive sweeping choruses. And there's a really awesome guitar solo in the song, which I haven't heard Muse do in a song in a long time. Like it's very reminiscent of. Origin of Symmetry, uh, the album that came after that, which I'm blanking on the name, um, that has like Stockholm Syndrome on it and stuff. Black Holes and Revelations? Yes. Yeah. Or is it Absolution? Is that the name of the album? I don't remember. It's one of those. Yeah. It's in Absolution. that area. Uh, those those three albums, I think, are like the the peak of Muse. I'm a big fan of Origin of Symmetry myself, but um, the rest of the song is just like, it's crazy. It's And his, and his vocals, again, like... He's going for the queen. We are the champions. So he's like, we're going to win. And it's like, this could could be in a musical. This song is so over the top. But he said he wrote it specifically for the Olympics. So I guess it makes sense. I think he can talk about winning without saying winning. (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of funny. That band's just, I I don't know. They need to go back and they keep evolving and evolving into this weird, like, I don't know. Like you, I think you're describing some like ver- bad version of Queen, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've the definitely years. gone way over the uh, the edge in terms of uh, their Queen admiration. So, but we're a little off topic. Um, were there any bands with regards to this band, Headswim, and this album that you thought of in terms of current listening? No, I mean, I think you brought 
brought up most of them. If you're, I mean, pretty much if you liked what was on the radio in the mid '90s, check this out. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's in the ballpark of all the bands that were pretty much all over uh, modern and alternative rock radio for about ten years. So it's not that distant. I, I think it'll be. You know, you might find it uh, interesting in that the, you know, it sort of has the piano element to it, and the songs kind of play off that at times, which takes it in a slightly different direction. So it could be something new from that aspect. So, yeah. All right. Nobody really, nobody really knew, you know. Yeah. No new bands I could think of. Yeah, me neither. Well, that's it. Thanks to Tim Rogers for suggesting this band. If you would like to send in a suggestion, hit us up. On Twitter at Dig Me Out Podcast, or send us an email digmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, if you'd like to leave us some positive feedback, please head on over to our iTunes page, hit some stars, leave us some nice words, and we will hey we'll mention you on the show. How about that? We'll we'll say hey thanks to so and so for leaving us some positive feedback on iTunes. How about that? I know that's How about that. That's a huge incentive. So. I think that's it. I think we're going to wrap this one up. We're going to tie a bow on it. Send it out so you can all uh, partake in our discussion of Head Swim. Jay, thanks again for joining me on the show. And we will be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.